Revelation has taken another transition and ramped up the truth that we find in the visions. John's revelations have been giving us some insight, some understanding about who Satan is and about the power of his influence. He's been talking about a beast. We'll read a little about and discuss some more about that. We started there last week. He's been, he'll be talking about a false prophet. He's also described as the dragon elsewhere in Scripture, particularly in the epistles of John. He's described as the Antichrist. All of these are Satan. They are not separate entities. They are all just visions of one man, one, or excuse me, one demonic influence working through political power and working through religious power. Let me begin reading in Revelation 13, and I'll try and move swiftly. I'll try. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled and followed as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Allow me to remind you, as this text opens, what we looked at last week, that when he talks about the sea, this beast rising up out of the sea, he wasn't rising up out of water. John is using a metaphor again. In his vision, he is describing the masses of the world, the nations of the world, the populations of the world having that kind of an influence when they are amassed together in rebellion against God. Satan can very easily influence their movement, their action. Borrowing from the idea that the sea was a source of storm and uncontrollable or unpredictable chaos, John uses the analogy to describe the masses of the people that comprise the world population. The influence of a beast is manifest through them, the nations, and the political governments. We are, in John's day and in John's time, the Roman Empire was steeped in the Greek culture. This Greco-Roman population was given over to worship multiple gods and idols. Often, that worship was forced. They were required, often. And history reveals that idol worshipers were not very comfortable with growing, the growing number of Christians in the empire. These new Christians, they're weird. 
They were accused of being cannibals because the people overheard them talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Savior. They were suspected of practicing incest because they always loved their brothers and their sisters. They were even accused or believed that Christians were atheists because they didn't worship the gods of Rome or Greece. Roman government, representing the vast majority of the empire's citizens, began actively discriminating against Christians. Persecution. The beast was at work. That's why John was talking about this beast rising up out of the sea or out of the population. The influence of the Roman Empire coming to bear upon the faithful Christians. When you get the authority and influence of any national government to turn against God and the gospel and against Christians, it's hard to avoid that kind of power. The government takes on the presence of some kind of frightening monster or beast. I think these days and times we can recognize some of that. John, as you know, was banished to the Isle of Patmos while Emperor Domitian ruled Rome. Domitian had already declared himself God, Lord and God. And he insisted that all worship him. When Christians refused to do this, the Roman government confiscated their property and began imprisoning them as traitors, guilty of treason. And eventually many of them were sent to the Colosseum for entertainment and support. There was, after Domitian, there was continued persecution under, under Trajan, Emperor Trajan, he made it illegal to be a Christian, but he didn't encourage pursuit of Christians. If it was discovered, then they could be processed or prosecuted by law. But if you were a Christian during that day and you were moving through the market, you could avoid the places where you had to pay tribute to an idol or tribute to an emperor and just kind of lay, lay low underneath the radar and continue on. But if it was discovered, if someone stopped you, here, come pay tribute to Caesar, or come pay tribute to an idol. If you refused, you exposed yourself and were to be arrested. There was persecution under Hadrian. There was persecution under Marcus Aurelius. There was persecution under an emperor named Septimius Sabinus. He, made it, he, he ruled from 193 to 211. He was the emperor that made it illegal to convert to Christianity or you would suffer a death sentence. Also Decius, Valerian, and Diocletian. I could have given you names and dates, but nobody remembers those things. But all of this, all of this was the work of the beast that John describes in Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea. Verse 7, it was allowed, this beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. 
and authority was given, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb that was slain. So all of those who are lost are considered to be, or usually are, influenced by, by the beast. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. We have learned of other governments that have persecuted Christians. We are very aware that it's not just Rome. In the last 150 or so years, there's been the rise of communism. Joseph Stalin led that nation in revolt and under his rule in the first five or ten years, very first part of their rule, there were 17 million citizens in Russia slaughtered. Many Christians. It was not tolerated. In those days, there were many people thought, who thought for sure that Joseph Stalin was the Antichrist and that they expected Jesus back any minute. We're all very familiar with World War II and the Third Reich. Hitler was considered to be the Antichrist, especially since he had such hatred for the Jews. We're also very aware of Mao Zedong and Red China. 30 million people were killed during, under his regime. We can go back to the very beginning of Islam, the rise of Islam under Muhammad. Their, their rise comes officially by the sword and not by any grace whatsoever. It's illegal to be a Christian in many Islam, Islamic nations. And then we have the modern governments, the civilized governments. The population, or the modern sea, appears to be supporting the government as it limits or restricts or punishes Christians. Some of you might say, well, it's just conservative points of view. Well, conservative points of view are supported by Christian doctrine and Christian teaching and the law of God. Some of you have been probably been aware that right after the <clears throat> lockdowns began, a Canadian pastor by the name of Arthur Palowski, who grew up in Czechoslovakia under communist rule, was pastoring a church in Canada. Right after the lockdowns began, some government agents came in to in inspect his church and ask if they were being compliant. And he got very angry. They came in during a worship service, got very, as they were getting ready for a worship service, got very angry and called them Nazis and ran them out of his church. 
Well, since then, he has been issued 340 citations from the government. He's been arrested 16 times. Twice he's been stopped and pulled out of his car and handcuffed. He spent 45 days in a maximum security prison and endured 120 court cases. Presently, he is under house arrest just for preaching the gospel. Okay, I'll be honest just for refusing to stop preaching the gospel because of COVID. James Coates, another Canadian pastor who has been to jail for preaching the gospel. Pastor Rodney Brown in Tampa Bay, Florida, was also arrested for failing to comply with COVID restrictions. There have been churches in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and California who have suffered as well. I think it was just last spring in Pennsylvania, Damon Adkins was street preaching or trying to street preach at an LGBTQIA plus rally and was immediately arrested and handcuffed and taken away. And I've seen the video. It's, he, he said God one time and was stopped immediately. charged with criminal disorderly conduct and engaging to fight. He did not do either one. It's on video. This is the work of the beast from the sea. The pressure, the oppression, the influence of governments trying to quell and stop the preaching of the gospel. What about the pressure we see from the government and every social circle to accept inclusivity? Excuse me, accept inclusively the idea that to be a transgender person is a good thing. That's, that's another denial of God's design for man. And that's another reason why so many of them I'll use the word hate Christianity because we affirm the traditional family, we affirm God's design, we affirm God's creation, and they don't like it. So this is all the work of the beast from the sea. It is an influence that comes at us politically, socially, culturally, there is also another beast that John describes. Again, it is just another description of Satan. Verse thir chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a lion. It's not abundantly clear, but it makes you kind of wonder, are we looking at a rendition of a, f a counterfeit savior? Two horns like a, like a lamb? We look back a few chapters in Revelation, we see the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the only one who was worthy to break open the seven seals of the scroll. And here, this one, this counterfeit, presents himself as a lamb, kind of defenseless, but he speaks like a dragon, very deceptive. Verse 12 
It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. This is Satan at work again. This is another vision. This is a spiritual point of view. It performs great, verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by signs, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it, is, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. This second beast has as much influence as the first beast, but it is causing, causing everyone to worship that first beast. Worship government, worship the influence of man, worship man. That's what it's calling everyone to do. But it's, we will see this again in another vision later on in Revelation. The compromised church portrayed as a harlot riding the beast. This is a false prophet, the compromised church. In John's time, they were, there were weaknesses within Christianity. You might have think those early years were great and wonderful. The Holy Spirit was so powerful and moving, and the church was growing. Yes, it was, but there were also some weaknesses. The Apostle Paul struggled with weaknesses to the, with the church at Corinth, telling them in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Do not be unequally, unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with, un, with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? In what part has a believer with an unbeliever? In what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. There were those in churches in the early times of the New Testament growth that were they were tempted to go back to their old ways. They were tempted to worship as their neighbors worshipped. They were tempted to worship as their old friends worshipped. They were tempted to bring some of that into the New Testament church. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them of what Christ has done for them and calls them, reminds them to come out from among them and be separate. That they were bought with a price. They were not their own. Galatians, the church at Galatians, he wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to the different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we say again, 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, for I am now seeking the approval of man, or for am I now seeking the approval of man, or the approval of man, or God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. So we're seeing this second beast, kind of a false prophet, calling people to worship the first beast. In verse 13, the false prophet performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Now, we don't have any evidence in Scripture that anything like this happened in John's time. We have to take this and understand what, what could it possibly mean. Is it something that is coming in our future? Possibly. But since we've been taking so many of this, these visions metaphorically and symbolically, we have to kind of take this metaphorically and symbolically. And I think I'm going to kind of rest here next week because I've really been praying about something that's been shown to me or, and I want to make sure that I use the right words because what I have here could make a lot of people angry. Verse 14, by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image of the beast doesn't necessarily have to be an idol. Just make the beast, that first beast, your all in all. Give him everything. Give it everything. Give him your strength, your, your mental capacity, your desire. Just give him everything. Telling him to make the image of the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Every time he makes a mention of that sword and that wound, he is talking about how Christ bruised the serpent's head with his heel by dying on the cross. And Christ is described in Revelation as one who has the sword in his mouth. His word is the power, his word is the truth, his word is the weapon. And he has defeated Satan, but for some reason that beast has healed for a time. It's defeated, it's crushed, its doom is sure, but is still allowed to work. Bringing judgment upon the lost and upon this world. He was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast give life to this, this beast, this influence, this power, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Persecution coming back to those who will not comply. This false prophet, I believe, is the compromised church. I can go on for a few hours just talking about examples, but I don't want to do that. I just can make some big general statements. And another 
Presbyterian denomination. About 30 years ago, there was a movement borrowed from, there was a new effort borrowed from something that was called a reimagine. I'm not going to into a lot of details, reimagining movement. It was within the women's ministry of this particular denomination where they would, during general assemblies, they would have special meetings for the ladies and they would go worship Sophia, the goddess of wisdom. Idolatry brought into the church. Another denomination, one we, we, who we used to be a part of, has already been compromised by allowing and permitting revoice. The acceptance of the gay community within Christianity. And then there is also generally along across most denominations this struggle with wokeism, how so many of them have accepted it and are promoting it. How many of you have heard the Sparkle Creed? I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as passages, patches of the AIDS quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to, te to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief, amen. That's the wokeism in the church that is calling all to worship the beast. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead, right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Uh, there is so much here, and we always have such limited time. But if you're wondering what's going on in the world, and you're waiting, well, we're okay because the Antichrist hasn't arrived yet, he is here now. If you're wondering, we're, we're okay because we haven't seen any beasts come up out of the sea yet. He is here now. 
If you're wondering, everything's okay because we haven't seen anything drastic yet, it's happening now. The Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. We should be aware of that and be very skeptical of any new ideas that promote anything that is against Scripture and exalts man. Second Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul says, We should not be outwitted by Satan. We should be, not be ignorant of his designs. And he is actively at work deceiving billions of people. And we need to be faithful because he is here now. We will return to this text next week. There's a little bit more we need to talk about. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word and its truth and its power. And we pray that as we work together through these passages that you might help us understand and trust you, Lord. Your word is true. Your word is sure. Your word is reliable. And Satan is a liar. And he has so much influence and sway even now. We ask, Lord, impress upon us our hearts and our minds your truth and light and help us to understand so that we may live faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.